Listen to these words and and may we find meaning in God's divine timing. So as we prepare to read, just remember that we've gone through uh, Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2 and now in 3 and we've seen Solomon boldly proclaim there is no meaning in all the things that we could pursue in life. He's already pursued it all. He's looked for meaning in pleasure, meaning in work, and meaning in gathering possessions and and doing all these things. He was the wealthiest man. He was the wisest man. He tried to find meaning in just all of life's wisdom. We could do that. We can pursue and look for all the wisest things in the world, and yet he says it's like grasping after the wind. I don't know about you, but I still don't know anybody that's played tag with the wind and won. That's the idea. That's the picture that he's drawing. There's no meaning. But yet we get to chapter 3 and he turns a curve and he says there is a purpose to life. And it begins with our Father in heaven. And he says there is meaning that can be found in this world that is meaningless. And so as we read, he's saying, look, this divine God, our Father that is in heaven. His divinity and the things that surround his characteristics of his divinity can produce meaning. And the first one that we see is in God's control of time, his divine time. We find, divinity, we find meaning in his divine timing, his timing of everything, that he's the maker of everything. He is the sovereign Lord that is we see that he is the sovereign Lord above time and in time. We are temporal, and that is the fact that we can't control time. We live within time's framework. As the time ticks away, so does the things in our life. Uh, we, are, we are inside of time, but God is not. That is called atemporal. That means he is Outside of time, time does not control him, but yet God controls time. That's the beauty of it. And so the, the reality is, is that the fact that God is divine, that he is sovereign, that he is in control of time, he is above time, he is the one that makes all things beautiful according to his time. It means that there is meaning to be found that that fact that he is sovereign and Lord of time means that he is the answer to everything. His divine timing is truly the answer of everything. So as we read, keep that in mind as we listen to these beautiful words that are given by God. We are going to start in verse 9 and go to verse 15. He says this, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. That it means that he has given every man the desire for an eternal purpose. He has put eternity in man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out What God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived or I know 
that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful or to have joy and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that what is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks that which has been driven away. These are quite fascinating verses and shows us really the beauty of the fact that God is in control of all things. That is his beauty, his eternal purpose. The idea there that he gave us this purpose of actually that we need to glorify God. To live, to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. The purpose of is, is to glorify God, to, to honor God, to be worthy of the gospel in which God has called us. And that really is meaning to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave us that e- eternal purpose. We look at all of life and we say, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And we struggle and people do and they lose joy in their sink into frustration or worry or depression. Do you ever wonder where the joy of the Lord has gone in your life? Have you ever been there? Maybe you are there. And we think about this and Solomon really explains the fact that it isn't for us to understand everything in our life and yet we think that we should be able to. But the reality is God is in control. God will make everything beautiful according to his time. In answer to that question, here's a thought. And and again, it may sting, but the reality is is the truth that is behind it is is not to uh, pick and judge you. It is for us to be honest before God. And that is, as we think about where is our joy? Has our joy been gone? Where is it gone? Maybe we're struggling in our relationship with the Lord. And and in answer to that, it may be due to a self-serving desire or lifestyle that we have embraced. It may be due to a, a deliberate walking contrary to the commandments of God. Maybe there's something that we decided is important and we've said, this is important and I'm going to do it. It feels good. It feels right. And we don't ask ourselves whether this is really from God or is this just from a desire because we want to get past a certain circumstance in our life. The reality is, is if God makes everything beautiful according to his time and it isn't in our control, the reality is that joy is a byproduct of God's timing, God's blessing, God's will. When God removes joy, peace of mind, satisfaction, it is often due to the fact that we are acting more like a rebellious child 
who wants our own way rather than enjoying a relationship with God. Church, let's remember that there is joy to be had, but it's in doing the good and the good that is provided by God. As we think about this, think about that meaning is found in His divine timing. The fact is that God is sovereign. Meaning is not found in circumstances. Meaning is not found in the things of this life, in the perceptions and all those kind of things, but in the fact that God is above. That comes to our introduction, and that is this, that you can't control what happens, but you can control your response. It's the idea in Ephesians when Paul is talking to the church, he's explained in one big long sentence all that we have in Christ, all that God is, what he's done, his work, up through verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 1. And he said this, in him we have, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Did you get that? Everything has been ordained and been given to us according to how it works, according to the counsel of his will. We can't control all things in our life. It's all according to the counsel or his purpose. Verse 12, it says, so that you who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. One of his purposes is that we might praise his and glorify him. It was done. Everything that it was done according to his purpose was that we might praise and glorify Christ. The other avenue there is, is most of all, you should willingly submit to God as the Lord of time. In our text this morning in verses 13, 14, and 15, we'll see this real aspect of submitting, this real aspect of acknowledgement. Most of all, you should be willing to submit to God. Submit to His divine timing. Submit to His sovereignty as the Lord of time. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear means awe or respect or honor. It's the idea of submission. As we submit to the Lord, it begins is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. It goes on to say in verse 7, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon was just previously highlighting how the labor of men uh, in ever-changing circumstances is not the formula for lasting joy. He says in verse 9, What gain has the worker from all his toil? There is no meaning in all of our toil. There is no joy in all of our toil apart from God. But when we submit to God, we submit to his timing. We submit to that he is over all things. Joy begins to trickle in. Joy begins to trickle in. 
when our hope is not in the many changing circumstances in our life, when it's not about all the labors of life, but rather in the unchanging God who has made who has made and shall make all things beautiful in his time, that is the true formula found in joy. How can you tell what you are looking to at any particular moment of the day is a source of joy? If we live in frustration, worry, bitterness over afflictions, trials, and delays that come into our life, if you are looking to people or to circumstances of life to bring us joy, then you might be struggling with the loss of joy. However, if we live in the hope that God has already made things beautiful from eternity, for eternity and shall make in the future everything glorious according to His own time, then we are looking to Christ to bring us joy. To whom are you looking to bring lasting joy? Is it Christ? That's why Paul proclaimed, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is important for us to understand as we go to verse 12. It's this idea of submitting that idea. We have to submit. That means to lay down and worship God, to say it is it is about him, to look to him in this aspect. But in verses 12 through 14 or 16, we see that our response should be three different things, that our response to God's sovereign, divine authority to time. And that is, it is the source of joy. The first response is this, there is joy when praising God and doing good. Enjoy life. When we submit to God's timing of all things, when we stop submitting to our circumstances and looking to our circumstances to bring us joy, but when we look to God for that, when we start praising God and rejoicing in the Lord of time, He is our joy. We enjoy life no matter what happens. The key is, who are we praising? Are you praising Christ? Verse 12 says, I perceived. That word, I perceived or I know, literally means to have personal experience in. He's had personal experience in everything under the sun, but then he realized that he had the wrong focus in life. But there's a meaning in the fact that God is in control of all time. And he perceived that there is nothing better for us than to be joyful. That means to have joy. And he's, the context is, is he, to have joy in the true meaning of life, and that is to glorify God. Here's the idea about this. Stop running after what God has not revealed and just enjoy in what he has revealed. When we chase after circumstances, we're focusing on things that God hasn't revealed in your life. What are you chasing after? Enjoy what God has revealed in your life, not what he hasn't. 
Therefore, being excited and joyful about life is not only a wonderful discovery, it's a biblical testimony. This is what God has done. The word better, by the way, in this text is to have a good and pleasant smell. It's like an offering. When we have joy in what God has done, it is good. I mean, it smells good. I don't know about you, but there is nothing better than smoked meat on a barbecue. When my wife is, we, you know, we, we didn't have a vent that came outside of our house, but praise the Lord for unfortunate events in our life and fires. We won't say who started them, but when our oven caught on fire and burnt up and, and we got a new oven, but with the new oven came a new vent and it vented outside. I can park my car in my driveway and walk my 40, 50 feet. And as I park the driveway, I open up the door and when there's meat being cooked in the oven, I have this sweet smelling aroma. Pork chops, you know, uh, oven roasted roast that has been smoked for hours. Oh, my daughters have left and gone back to college, but Kelsey was barbecuing and baking this roast that we had. It was about six pounds. It was a five and a half hour cook time in the oven. And as I came home, I was like, oh. I overemphasize that because when we rejoice in God's doing, it is good. It is, smells good. What does it mean to do good? There is joy when we praise God and are doing good. To do good is to do that which glorifies God, not just morally good. That's not what Solomon's talking about. It's our love for God. It's to glorify God. Jesus was really clear on this point. Joy is not the fruit of a mere intellectual knowledge of God and, of what, and a knowledge of what is good but it is the fact of doing God's good. John 13, 17, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed or blessed or joyful or good or happy are you if you do them. James said it another way, if you know what is good and you don't do it, if you know the good things that God has called you to do and you don't do them, it is a sin. Our blessings, Jesus was clear, our blessings and our joy comes when we do the things of God's word, not merely know them. That brings to mind the exact thing that uh, Brother Lyle was trying to communicate to us when he was talking about praising God and worshiping God and the sovereignty of God. And, and he quoted Spurgeon when he said, or I think it was J, uh, Sproul. <laughs> I'm going from memory. I should have wrote it down. But he said this, sometimes we 
merely salute God's sovereignty rather than truly trust it or follow it. Many times we know, yeah, God is in control of all things and we salute to it, but we actually don't follow through in the doing of it, in our actions, in our attitude. James makes the same point, I said, but also he makes it in a different way in James chapter 1. Notice carefully that it's not the forgetful hearer that's blessed. In verse 25 he says, but the one who looks at the perfect law, by the way, the perfect law, the perfect law, Jesus told us what the perfect law was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you see a common thread from Solomon to the New Testament? Joy comes from glorifying God, worshiping God, loving God. The perfect law, he says, but the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, but no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Who is blessed? The one that does the perfect law. Not just is merely a hearer, that brings us to this second point, and that is this. There is joy when we receive all the good in life as a gift from God. James 1, 17, verses, well, verses 16 through 18, he says, Do not be deceived, my brother, brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or sh- shadow due to change. God does not change. Everything, every good thing, that's the same word, by the way, that sweet-smelling aroma, that blessing. Everything that is good is from God. Of his own will, verse 18, he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Verse 29 through 30 of the text that Rob read to us in Philippians 1, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Every gift, whether it's suffering, trials, whatever conflict, everything becomes good in God's time, not our time. It's not in our control. Remember in the introduction? Every joy we receive, the joy comes in our life when we receive everything in our life as it is a gift from God. That's the point that he's making in verse 13. Everyone should take pleasure and enjoy whatever they have, not because you produced it or you're in control of it, but because it is a gift from God. Joy is, it comes or there is joy when we submit and revere God. Verse 14, I perceived or I know, I've experienced, Solomon says, that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear or revere or honor before him. There is joy when we submit, when we lay down 
It's amazing how we try to take up control and can try to control all our circumstances, try to fix all these things, and we simply just don't lay it before God and, and submit to God's timing. And we revere Him. Romans 8 verse 7 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not produce joy. It says, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When we focus with our earthly eyes, when our, with our earthly desires, our earthly flesh, and we just focus on things that we try to control, it doesn't submit to God's law. What is God's law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you're struggling in something, a lot of times when we are doing things according to our own desires and we're not submitting to the Lord, when we're focusing on the fleshly things, the desires, we grumble, we complain, we struggle, we judge people, we focus, and everything that goes on around us controls us because we cannot submit to God's law. We forget that we're, it's all about loving the Lord our God. To fear God is to reverently stand in awe and wonder of His power, His wisdom, His mercy. Have you ever stood in the midst of the storm and just sat there? I had a strange mom, I've told you. By the way, I, I call some of you weird and weirdo and, you know, we, 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 I don't believe any of us should be normal. We're God's children. We don't belong here on earth, so we're not normal, right? We live in a weird society. We're weird because they all think we're weird. We submit to God? What? Why should I do that? That's not normal. But my mom used to wake me up, and there was a hurricane in Alaska, one of the strange phenomenon. She's, we're standing at this huge bay window. She's like, look at God's power. We were in Oklahoma. I, I'll still never forget watching the greenhouse at our neighbors go up and over the house and over and land in the cul-de-sac. An eight-foot by ten-foot greenhouse picked up entirely whole. I was thinking, whoa, it's kind of like, I immediately went to the Wizard of Oz. And I was like, whoa, I'm glad that didn't land on me. But, and then we lived in Oklahoma and we, you know, those sirens go off, tornadoes are coming. What does my mom do? No, don't, don't go to the, the shelter. You go outside. Let's look at the tornadoes. We're like, whoa, look at the power. <laughs> if any of them started coming towards us, I think we would have went to the shelter. I believe. None of them ever did. It was God's divine control. <laughs> I think grace on, my, on, on us. But let me put it this way. Have you ever stopped in whatever painful storm you're living through right now and stopped and aren't you are a wonder at God's power have you stopped to remember that God is over he is outside of time he is not us he sees all things he's unchanging time cannot change him as time changes us the fear 
to fear God is to reverently stand in awe in the midst of whatever storm you're going through and wonder at his power, his wisdom, his mercy, his faithfulness. To me, an undeserving sinner in ordering all things in our lives for the beauty of his own glory and for the benefit of his children. We are his children. He knows when a sparrow dies, Matthew, in the Beatitudes, he says, don't worry, don't, don't fret. He sees when a sparrow drops, he knows what you're going through. You are his children, he says. Aren't you more valuable than a sparrow? How about this storm? The storm of Christ went through when he died on the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there is joy when we submit and we revere God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What did he do when he prayed? Not my will, but your will be done. When he was sweating blood. It was a storm like no other None of us will ever experience the storm that Christ experienced. And yet, right here, he says, who for the joy? It was his joy. He had joy in the midst of his storm because he submitted to the Father who is in heaven. Who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right-hand throne of God. In verse 14 and 15, it's all about submission and fear, the idea of submitting and revering God. We read, even concerning the Lord in Hebrews that we read, that joy was found in submitting to the will of the Father, not merely knowing it or merely possessing it, but doing it and submitting to it. Our temporal passing life and all its joy and pleasures exist in the environment of God. Everything. Humbly submitting in the fear of God to whatever He brings in your life, it fits in His environment. God's work, which is permanent, is perfect and powerful. Do you see what Solomon said in verse 14? His work is permanent. It's unchanging. It's perfect. If it's perfect, there is no need to change. And it's powerful. It's permanent. It's powerful. Solomon knew everything that God does is something that stands forever. Everything man does and is and in himself is transitory. It just comes and goes. The grass grows, the plants, the flowers bloom, but yet they wither. The hot wind comes. You know, usually around here in August, all the grass kind of turns a little bit brown. This year it didn't quite do that. But it withers. Plants come, plants go, but the Word of God endures forever. Everything God does and as He is, is eternal. There is, nothing, there, is nothing, there is nothing one will ever need to add to or subtract from 
the work of God. It is perfect. In God's work, nothing is missing, nothing is lacking. Now, why did Solomon bring that up? (laughs) Because fearing God or revering God and dealing with things before God is key to enjoying life. So as we conclude, I want us to bring back all these thoughts that we've had because there's been quite a few this morning in these few verses. The key to enjoy an enjoyable or life filled with joy is knowing that it's all founded in one's relationship with God. That's the key. God has designed has designed what he does to draw out fear, reverence and respect. It's all draws to love him, to love the Lord our God with all our heart. The fear of the Lord is the foundation which all pleasing God flows. The reverence of God, everything that would please God flows out of that. That's submission to God. That brings us to this, and that is earthly pleasure without the reverence of God sabotages God's purpose of joy in your life. Are you struggling with joy? Earthly pleasure, work, doing good things, whatever good that you say is good in your life, the things of family, the things of work, the things of relationships, anything that you would say is good, Earthly pleasure without reverence, that submission to God, it sabotages joy. God's purpose is to, for us to enjoy life. It's His gift. And that brings us to this, and that is moral good without the reverence of God undermines our ability to please God. You can try to serve God. You can work hard in church. You can do things to try to serve God, to be good. But if you're not submitting to God, you don't have reverence of God in your life, then your ability to enjoy things from God will lessen and your ability to please God will not be there. Reverence for God ensures that pleasing God is no matter of law, but of life. Moral obedience to God without loving or fearing of God is simply conforming to legalism. Conforming conforming to tradition. Conforming to rules. It's not loving God. It's not pleasing God. Respect and submission to God go together. Pleasing God soars on two wings of respect and submission. Have you submitted? Have you laid down before God? That's what it really means to worship God. Is to come before the cross and say, I am not worthy. To humbly submit yourself and say, Lord, it is not me, it is you. I am not good. I never can be good. But Lord, you are good. 
It's coming to God. It's serving God from a proper position. God has set history in motion and is driving it towards his end, his purpose. Thus, the seasons of life in verses 1 through 8 we see in our text, the ebb and flow in the streams of God's divine presence leads us to the very fact of submitting to God's divine timing in our life. I want to remind you, you cannot control what happens, but you can control your response. How are you responding to your circumstances this morning? Verse 15 tells us that God is actually requiring an account of how we respond. Solomon is saying that we can't, whatever has happened has happened. Whatever will be, will be. How we respond to all of God's divine timing, how we submit to him, our reverence to him, our response to God's divine providential plans. We'll have to give an account before God someday. That time is coming quicker than you think. Our life is just a fleeting in time, but God is eternal. God's purposes are eternal. His work on the cross is eternal. The greatest work in our life is to submit to God to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. And it's no coincidence because he says out of it flows the second greatest commandment as to love your neighbor as yourself. We truly cannot love sacrificially each other if we first are not submitting and loving God. Who are you submitting to this morning? Are you loving Christ? Loving? Are you submitting to God? Or are you submitting to your circumstances? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Not because the things that we face are easy, Lord, but because you, you have promises that if we come to you and we lay our life before you, in your divine and eternal plan, you will bring joy Joy and unspeakable, filled with glory. You tell us to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. When we come to you, you said, don't be anxious. Don't worry about the circumstances. But everything by prayer and supplication, to be thankful. And you promised as our Father that when we come to you and we rejoice in you, it says that, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding there again, what Solomon said, we cannot understand your purposes. We can't understand your plan. But you would provide the peace that is above all of those things. All the understanding in life. And you'll guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. What joy there is to know that you will protect our emotions, our fears. You will provide You'll protect the way we think, the way we respond. Lord, if someone here is struggling, I pray that they would simply return back to you 
and confess, maybe they have not submitted to you, that they've been submitting to their circumstances. And they've heard the call back to just love you, that the sole purpose of their life is to glorify you, to love you with all their heart. I invite them, I pray, Lord, that you would, right now as we prepare to sing, that you would work in their heart, they would bear it before you, and in reverence lay down before you and just simply give it to you and say, Lord, I, I need your forgiveness. I need to submit my life to you and do the good work that you have provided. Do the act of reverence, of submission, of humility, and just love you. Lord, maybe someone here does not know you. They don't have a relationship with you because everything in their life has been about good works. It's been about trying to be good and, and they've struggled. They see that it is meaningless in life because you can never be good enough. Lord, you said there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeketh after God. Really, we seek more about ourselves than we do really about loving you. Lord, maybe there's some that realize that, wow, I thought it was about my work, but Lord, it is really about all about what you did on the cross that you became our perfect sacrifice. Jesus, you said there is, there is no other way by which men might be saved. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You said that we are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. You said that the, that, that the product of our sin, Romans says that the product of our sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, through his work. Lord, I pray that if someone here needs to be saved from their sin, that they would realize that they would listen to the Spirit's call and that they would call upon you to be saved this morning. Say, Lord, I need your work on the cross. I need you to save me. And Lord, that they would invite and submit their life to you and that they'd be saved this morning. Lord, if someone would call upon you this morning, that, Lord, you would just work in their heart, reveal that, and that they'd be saved. Lord, we thank you for this morning in your word that brings life, it brings encouragement, and that we would be in awe of your great power and humbly submit to it in your wisdom, in your timing. In Jesus' name, amen.